Hey, good day wherever you're listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio, for Friday, February 28th, 2014. This week, it's episode 317. We're coming to you from Studio D in Central City, Pennsylvania. My name is Radio Joe Hughes, and here with me in the studio at the controls is Jessica Lawson. Good afternoon. Good day, Jess. Back in the old Studio C in McKees Rocks, Pennsylvania, is the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. Always a pleasure, Joe, and looking forward to today's show. Good day, good day, Cliff. I think we'll have our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Weil, joining us a little later. We'll see. Today's segments include, we're going to interview Claudia Lizelle. We're, we're talking about inspection of hard surfaces and moisture issues with hard surfaces. Really looking forward to the interview. Of course, we'll do our halftime. We've got an unfortunate announcement to make it halftime, and then we'll go to the roundup with our technical director, Dr. Wow. Before we get started, let's thank our marquee sponsors, John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. Indoor Environment Connections the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at clean, C-L-E-A-N-F-A-X.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. Let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Thanks, Joe. Now for this week's trivia question. Name the bricklayer of Leeds, England, who first made Portland cement in the early 19th century by burning powdered limestone and clay in his kitchen stove. Back to you, Joe. Today's guest is Claudia Lazelle. Claudia is joining us from Houston, Texas. She's the president of Inspections 2. They're an inspection company that specializes in the diagnosis of floor covering failures. Ms. Lizelle is an authority in the diagnosis of floor covering failures, and especially those related to moisture. We're going to talk a lot about that today. She's also the IICRC Hard Surfaces Standards Chair, an IICRC-approved instructor in all of the hard surfaces categories. She was the hard surfaces task force leader who actually helped to put these programs together, and she's an emeritus interior designer. Uh, determining the failure of a specific floor requires a thorough analysis and understanding of the flooring and the underlying material. Flooring changes are occurring very frequently, more so than ever, and driving the need for expert inspection and inevitable failures that occur. We've got some music for Claudia, a little inspection music maybe. You know, there was a, Claudia, you have a list of certifications and trainings and, I mean, um, just accomplishments that goes about two pages here. I'm sorry I cut a little short. I did want to mention the HDTV program that you're on, too. Welcome to IAQ Radio, and thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's great. It's, it's great to have you. What? How did someone like yourself get into the flooring failure analysis business? a good question um it started actually i grew up in the construction industry and uh kind of stayed away from it for a while and went and got a different degree and then i came moved down to texas and i i met my first uh husband uh no longer my husband but um he was a flooring contractor and we started a 
a carpet and flooring store out of a condominium. We got rid of all the, the furniture and actually literally had samples everywhere. And then, then we ended up uh, having two uh, retail stores. Um, and uh, everything was really going along well. We, we did a lot of installations. We live in Texas, so we got a, you know, by the Gulf. And uh, what started happening, I would say probably around mm, 80, late 80s, I started noticing as, as things started changing as far as the environmental laws and materials and how you could dispose of products and VOCs, uh, my floors started not acting as well as, as uh, they should have. And uh, since I was an interior designer, my, uh, my overall uh, project was so important that, you know, once you have a failure in any, any part of the project, um, it just it can really do some devastation. So. I ended up um, seeing more moisture-related problems than I ever had. I've, I saw a lot of adhesive-type failures going on that I hadn't seen ever and uh, ended up finding the um, IICRC and going to uh, Carl Williams, may he rest in peace, um, one of my mentors. Uh, I went to his school for carpet inspection and started learning a bunch of stuff about substrates that I didn't even, you know, even realize um, was even you know any kind of a problem until uh, I started uh, hearing you know what what was really going on and ends up that Carl threw my name in the hat and next thing I know um, I was a hard surface task chair to put together the inspection program in '95. Uh, wow! So you that's an interesting background. Now what was you you said you went to school and I I, I was searching through here the information you said I couldn't find it. What did you go to school for? I went to school. I actually got a, a BA in deaf education, teaching the hearing impaired, and uh, came down to Texas and taught for three years. And I always say I used to teach people that uh, couldn't hear. Now I teach people that don't want to listen. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Um, now, you also had some construction background. And what I'd like to do, I want to turn it over to Cliff in a moment, but what kind of tips do you have for other women? And, and we've been trying hard, and we've done really good lately, by the way, listeners. We've had four women on the last six shows, I want to say. So we're we're really doing good. But how would you encourage other women, or what tips can you give other women who would like to get more work in the construction or other technical fields? Uh, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, unfortunately, during my part of my career in the, the floor failure side, of course, I was one of the very few women um, in the industry that were focused on this niche of the, of the market. And, um, you know, another problem I, I kind of confronted, but it, it, you know, worked its way out. But, uh, you know, when I was at a designer, an interior designer, because I had uh, my location and doing home shows and so forth, I got to see the crystal ball of what floors were coming down the turnpike. And I remember years ago looking at surfaces that it was just covered with, you know, carpet and talking to the textile folks saying, hey, you know, in 20 years or whatever from here, you're going to see nothing but hard surfaces and maybe rugs on the floor, area rugs. And, um, you know, there's commercial carpets and things like that. But um, so I, I guess my biggest thing to, to to tell women is to really truly believe in themselves never doubt yourself and if you don't know some something go out and find the person that does uh, my husband says I'm a poster child for volunteering but in, in my personal opinion I, I I can't I can't even imagine the kind of people that I would never have met had I not gotten involved on the technical side and uh, it, and you can even, as far as the vocation goes, even my daughter, I'm, I'm happy to say, she's, you know, her trend is towards engineering. And the reason why she's trending that way is because she had a great role model in her high school engineering program, and she was a woman. So uh, it's, it's not, these kind of certifications don't have to come with degrees. Uh, you can have a degree like I took my degree in deaf ed and you know I started a IICRC school and I teach the you know adults and uh, you can just grow from there and take you know individual certifications that don't you know, don't take four years of college interesting Cliff let's turn it over to you 
Okay, let's get into some of the technical stuff, Claudia. I guess, first of all, are concrete and cement the, the same thing? I think the words are used synonymously, and I really don't know. Well, first I want to know if I can win that prize for the naming the trivia today. <laughs> well, you can go ahead and name it because you already did. Yeah, no, we that's had a winner. Okay. We had, we no, had no, a uh, someone's already texted in the, the, the correct answer. I mean, these guys are right on it. So. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I, I I finally got on to the texting part. I see what you're saying. Um, <laughs> actually, no, it, it, concrete is made of cement, and okay. a lot of folks um, they're they they don't always that they start talking about a um, you know concrete subfloor substrate. They'll they'll mistakenly call it cement, but you can't have concrete unless you have cement. Okay. Well, can we go over the steps that you would take in a typical flooring failure analysis inspection? Uh, yeah, sure, no problem. You want me to just kind of step it through? Yeah, please. Okay. Uh, well, one one thing uh, I always, of course, call us the mushrooms in the dark. You can't take it verbatim. Uh, a lot of times we get brought in. Uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, we are called in for what's known as the weird stuff. But um, you you have to first make sure that you, uh, first and foremost, you have to make sure you have a, a definition of who you are being commissioned by. Uh, in some instances, we actually get brought in from a couple of parties, but basically as far as who is bringing you in to commission and, of course, pay your bill, but bringing you, not hiring you, but bringing you in, okay. you got to get that clarity. And then, and then it's real important to get, um, I have, uh, different types of uh, forms that I use to send to my my clients, and it asks everything but the DNA. Um, it delves into you know things that may not be needed in our investigation or may be needed. Uh, you know, sometimes unfortunately these things turn legal, so you know it takes an attorney to have to get some information. But you you uh, definitely want to gather as much information about the property as you possibly can before you get there, especially if you're traveling. Okay. And, um, and then from that point, you, uh, you take a look at what they're asking you to look at, and you come up with a game plan depending on the material, depending on the failure. You can't walk in thinking you already have the answer because, you know, a lot of times you don't. And uh, when you get into the evaluation, I think uh, what also helps is to look at things that aren't failing and also the other surfaces because they can give you clues as far as the failure mode uh, or something that's added to or caused something to happen, and it's really not even the material you've been brought in to look at. That's why it's so important to really understand all the different types of surfaces and finishes and coatings and so forth. Thank you. Joe? Claudia, what is the – I mean, I don't know if you can answer this or not, but what's the most common type of call you get? It was with respect to what's the most common type of failure that you end up being called out on? Uh, yeah, well, I think, um, you know, because I, I, I cover such a vast arena of different types of flooring surfaces, um, you know, we, I would say we get called out on, you know, a lot of different types of materials, uh, especially in the commercial arena, um, you know, the resilient type materials, the wood, we don't get as many calls as the ceramic and the stone, but, um, you know, we do get calls for that. And that, I would say a big part of our uh, work, of course, you know, we do specialize in, in chasing moisture, but um, we also get called in pretty much for anything, any type of floor that has any kind of failure mode from the bottom to the top, soil all the way to the very top to the roof we get brought in because it's going to manifest at the floor level, not necessarily be the floor that's causing the problem. I see. Is, is, I, I'm wondering about concrete. I mean, you do a lot of commercial. I would assume a lot of it's concrete-type substrates. Is that pretty common then? Yeah. Actually, where I live, it's interesting because um, we, when, I, <laughs> when I moved from, I'm from Michigan, and, and the first when I first got down here, I was looking for the basement to hide from uh, tornadoes, <laughs> and uh, there's no basements here. It would be, you know, sea level. So I learned pretty quickly about the uh, concrete on-grade ground. Uh, most of our construction, as far as on the grade, is on-grade ground. 
Now, that said, what's interesting is, is because of our flooding, uh, floodplains have changed. There's now areas in Houston that are going above grade in crawl space, and we're seeing all kinds of moisture-related, you know, situations there that we never saw before if it wasn't over crawl, because the old crawl space were, um, you know, they, they those were back in the times when things weren't closed in and so forth, so... Uh, I would say a large portion. Now, uh, as far as commercial goes, you've got different kinds of concrete. You can have lightweight. You can have a cast in place. I mean, there's different forms. You could be in a building, and, you know, if if they've added to that building, you can make a serious mistake and think you're on one kind of a substrate, and you're really not. I mean, that's that's, I've seen actually experts make the mistake of testing wrong because they thought they were on one substrate and they were actually on a different one. How do you differentiate between, say, a lightweight, lightweight concrete and a, and a standard concrete that you know we're probably more commonly seeing? Um, is there a test you can do, or is it through uh, talking to the owner or the builder or whomever, or a combination of all that? It's it's a combination of all that plus the aggregate, you know, size. It's lightweight, so the aggregate. If you look at the aggregate now, a lot of times people make a big mistake and they call gyp gypcrete. They'll call it Crete, and then and then they'll think it's concrete when it's actually you know gypsum. So um, you can't take their word at all. Um, you have to definitely delve into the construction documents if you possibly can. You know sometimes it's difficult for older buildings, and uh, you have to do your own investigation as best as you can. Or if, you know if the worst case scenario, you do a core. I'm, that's what I was just going to ask. How often do you have to do a core? Well, technically, the the cores, you you, it, it really depends. As a matter of fact, the you know twenty one seventy, which is the RH in situ now, is um, you're needing to kind of core into the concrete to see if there's a vapor retarder barrier or not. But as far as petrographic, which is the, you know the magnification of of concrete, as far as that goes, I would say for the Definitely for the higher-end cases that go into the millions, um, we do all kinds of core testing, and we work in hand with a photographer, or they come to the site. You know, it, it, it's really case-dependent. I see. And what, you mentioned 2170. I'm not familiar with that, and I'm sure some of our listeners aren't. What is that? Is that a stand? That's the um, in-situ testing of concrete uh, to determine the RH of the, con- of the actual gradient within the concrete. Um, once the well, you test it without the floor covering, but it gives you the information you need to determine if you're in compliance or not once that floor gets covered. And is that an ASTM standard? Yeah, it's ASTM. Okay. It's, in, it's in the F committee. The F committee is basically um, I sit on this particular committee, but it's ASTM F. It's actually a, the resilient committee, but because resilient materials have been so moisture sensitive. For years, um, the 2170 and the 1869, which is the calcium chloride vapor emission testing, mm-hmm. um, they they got they came they got started and developed in in the ASTM F committee. Let me go back to uh, Cliff. Do you want to jump in, or you want me to keep going? No, you can keep going. Sorry. All right. My son does construction, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners do construction, and a lot of our, our listeners manage construction projects. And prior to installing a floor covering, whether it would be a, a laminate of some kind or even carpet or um, putting down some uh, stone or whatever, what are the key tips you would give the contractor with respect to making sure that the surface is ready for whatever flooring they're going to install well you bring up a really good point um the one thing that i can't stress enough uh, to anybody um once you've taken on a job you are the professional who's taken that job on um kind of a, a segue here i was on a phone call with an attorney and we were chatting about this particular case that i was working on and he said, you know, do, can you say this was done in a workmanlike manner? And I said, no, I can't, because a workmanlike manner in Texas supposedly is doing it wrong. And, uh, you know, I can't, I, unless you follow the practices of care and standards of, you know, standards and trade practices of care, you're doing it wrong. 
I mean, even if you can't get the bid, because if you do it right, it's too expensive, um, you're still doing it wrong. And I can't highlight enough that the, the if at all possible, the biggest tip that I could possibly give is to work as a team and try to get involved in the pre-construction of the material or even the building if you can or maybe sit in on some of the, you know, it's difficult because there's different layers of individuals that will be handling the, the building construction. But if you could possibly get in early and if you can't, do your diligence. You know, get with the manufacturers, all the manufacturers, not just the um, flooring manufacturers, but the adhesive and the underlayments and so forth. Get all their criteria for what that building needs to be installed at. I mean, flooring needs to be installed at in that particular building. And if your floor is not supposed to be installed and, uh, you know, down here in Houston and 100% relative humidity with no windows or doors in, um, you don't install it. It's just not ready to go. And I... You know, without me being around, he wouldn't have any moisture meters or anything like that. What kind of is there? I assume the manufacturers have certain standards prior to installing their floor. You've got to check for moisture. Can you go through some of the, the typical moisture testing that would be appropriate or would it commonly be um, required prior to installing some of these hard surfaces? Well, as far as the moisture meters go, um, the meter, one, one thing that you have to uh, make sure as far as even your meters go is understanding the nuance of the meter, understanding as far as the precision and bias of that particular meter. Is it, you know, a plus or minus, how much is it, can it be off, can it actually be off of some? Um, understanding the different applications for the meter, maintaining your meter, calibrate, you know, checking calibration, not keeping your batteries in and so forth, and then finding out what type of material you're going to be installing because there might be a different criteria as far as um, finding out moisture moisture content versus calcium chloride vapor emission or RH. So it's, it's really important to understand that the distinct difference between the qualitative type testing, which is just giving you a concept of what might or might not be going on, and the quantitative type testing that might be available. Um, it gets kind of confusing because you know, there's not a whole lot of correlation, say, between the 2170 and the 1869, but um, some manufacturers say either or. Now, wait, what's the so 1869? I would do both, but um, which is so the 18... it gets kind of complex. Which is 1869? That's the uh, vapor emission. Okay, so you've test. got vapor emission testing, you've got relative humidity testing, we've got moisture meters of some kind uh, that would commonly be used. But I guess what I've seen when we've installed flooring is more uh, vapor emission testing uh, recommended. Is that pretty common, or is it changing over now to the relative humidity testing, and which is more accurate in your in your experience? Well, I think that, you know, in Europe, they've been doing the RH test. As a matter of fact, I, I actually wrote a, um, an article on when do you know your concrete's dry, and I cited Hedenblad, who did a lot, a lot of study on um, RH in situ in the lab testing. Uh, Brewer was, uh, in the 60s, was the one responsible for um, evaluating the calcium, the moisture vapor emission, depending on with or without, you know, vapor retarder and so forth. Um, I would say that it's really manufacturer-specific, but now they're really doing enough seeming to be have done enough studies through CTL and Howard Kinnear and um, Scott Tarr and a lot of Peter Craig, just a lot of, lot of good colleagues of mine have been very vested in, in the study of concrete. And what, they, what they're finding now is, is that the calcium chloride will only give you an idea about a half inch deep into the concrete, where if you've got any kind of moisture imbalance from below before you've put the floor covering, that's what the in-situ test. Me, personally, I, I like to offer my clients both because I think that they give you different things that you need to know. But as far as a compliance-type scenario, my recommendation would be to check with the manufacturer and do what they tell you to do. Okay. If they want calcium chloride, do calcium chloride. But mm -hmm. uh, I think on an accuracy level, I think you're going to get more information from the RH. But you still get information from the calcium chloride. Now, there's the 2420, 
which is the hood test, and that's testing the RH at the top, you know, surface of the concrete. I um, want to put in a little plug for my buddies over at International Concrete Repair Institute. They have an excellent certification they offer um, as far as learning all the, you know, different types of um, getting certified in these these quantitative 2170, 2420, and uh, 1869. I'm just curious, what kind, what kind of moisture meter do you prefer? I and mean, we don't care. Brand names are fine here, Claudia. I mean, I, I'm just trying to help people understand the best way to evaluate these issues. Well, I don't have – I use all the brands. <laughs> okay. I have – I bring in a bunch of meters. I check my meters against meters. I, you know, I, I see if something's an anomaly. I um, – you know, as far as an arsenal, the you know all the meter companies put out very good meters. I think I think the the biggest thing is first number one again understanding what that meter's used for. I I've gone in jobs where these folks are using the wrong meter for the wrong scenario and getting wrong information. So you know the meter's only as good as the person using it and understanding it. So you definitely want to get some you know invasive meters. You want to get um, uh, pin meters, you want to get um, concrete meters, and you definitely need to make sure you understand the, um, you know, the differences between them and their purpose. I like that answer, actually, because I, that's kind of what I do, although I have been kind of partial toward the concrete meter I've been using lately. It just seems to, I don't know, give me more consistency, um, and I don't know if that's been your experience or not, but uh, anyway, let's move on. Cliff, go ahead. Okay, Claudia, what are early signs that a floor system is failing? I'm sorry? Oh, early signs? Early signs that a floor system is failing. Uh, well, uh, as far as um, sometimes they might start as gaps in the material. Sometimes it might start as, you know, something oozing out of the material. Sometimes... It might have, you know, might be an indication something lumpy, you know, underneath the substrate. Um, there's just so many different things that can cause a failure mode. But I, I will say, unfortunately, it seems like if, if, if they're not real tuned into the failure, and they let it progressively get worse or worse yet, the flooring contractor or the, or the, um, or the person selling the material or whatever, ignores the uh, calls of panic, <laughs> they're, they're definitely worth paying attention to because by the time we get brought in, I always tell folks, you know, unfortunately we do a lot of education and, and instruction and, and lecturing and so forth, and they said, well, we'll just call you when we have a problem, and, I, and I, my answer to that is, it's too late. So, well, let uh, me ask you a question, you know, a follow-up. Isn't it too late if you've already installed the floor what can you do at that point oh yeah big time i mean you're now you're starting to get into all kinds of um scary scenarios you can get into slip and fall you can get into indoor air quality issues um we did a a, a hospital they had to close down the whole hospital because of the indoor air quality issues that were produced because of the failures of the building from the floor so um what yeah there's a lot of problems what and that's why I said you got to do your diligence. Is every can I tell you that there's one perfect install out there? Probably not. But my my favorite thing to do is to actually do a an inspection for somebody that did the diligence, followed it to the T. And yes, the floor failed, but now we can figure out why because at least we know what they did right, so we don't have to figure out what they did wrong. If we could go back to the hospital where this floor failure was calling, causing all sorts of IQ problems, can you just tell the listeners what sort of IQ problems it was causing? Well, it was, you know, with moisture you get mold. mold. And um, uh, this particular hospital had a lot of um, very aging-type um, patients in it that were very sensitized to all kinds of breathing problems and, um, you know, because as, as, as we know, the most susceptible are the, you know, the elderly and the, and the very young. So um, it was becoming, uh, in a, you know, a, a situation where it was so bad they couldn't keep it open. What kind of flooring? I'm sorry? What, was the, what type of flooring were you dealing with there? Uh, all 
kinds. Actually, it was it was it was an interesting uh, scenario because we uh, it was it was a lot of moisture problems. They didn't use a vapor retarder. The concrete water cement ratio was you know very um, it wasn't good as far as the ratio. And um, in this particular case, uh, we had some investigation that leaned towards uh, alkali silica reaction, which normally typically you're going to find out on your exterior concrete and stuff. But uh, if you use too much, you know, reactive aggregate, and then you get the moisture problems, it was just—it was just one of those colossal um, failures. It was, uh, you know, I, the fix to at least even fix the floor was into the millions. And was it carpet and tile, or just a mix of things, or? Um, I would say it was—it I, I, was definitely resilient. Um, if they had any carpet, it would have been PVC back, so that's more moisture sensitive. You know, there was some stone that was actually even failing because stone stone um, will manifest in different ways, falling, um, discoloration, and so forth um, from moisture. But there wasn't one floor on the ground level that was surviving. Matter of fact, it was so bad that it had, had broken down the adhesive so bad, we almost couldn't even do our testing because it would, if we put a kit down, a calcium chloride kit, it, it would, you'd clean the area and then the uh adhesive would ooze out from um, other areas that it almost inhibited us from testing. Wow, that had to turn into a legal nightmare. It was. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, Claudia, it's um, yeah, it's it's halftime now, and we're, we've got to do a, a unfortunate duty here. And Cliff, let me turn it over to you. Do you want to start with uh, with the music? Thanks, Joe. Sadness and a heavy heart that I report that William F. Bain, chairman of Bain Clean, passed away on February 20th, 2014. Bill was a true American patriot, a member of the greatest generation who, as a U.S. Marine, served his country in both World War II and Korea. An inspiration to the industry that, with hard work, you can make a great business out of the good idea. Bill was a true industry pioneer. A born leader and charismatic public speaker, people believed what Bill had to say, and they trusted him. Bill was a passionate emissary for the cleaning industry. I remember as a 20-year-old driving to Indianapolis to attend an event he held, and that was the first large industry event that I knew about and attended. While today the Yellow Pages are a greatly diminished advertising method, in the early 1970s it was the primary method by which carpet cleaners advertise their businesses. I'm 63 years old, and many of you don't know that in the early 1970s, there was a huge battle between the suds and steam methods of carpet cleaning. The suds guys claimed that use of the word steam in Yellow Page advertising was false advertising, and they lobbied the Yellow Pages from coast to coast to refuse to allow the word steam to be used in their Yellow Page books. This was a huge issue for cleaners using the new methods of steam cleaning, also known as hot water extraction, by which they differentiated their methods from foam and shampoo. Bill took on this crisis head on. He began organizing and leading the industry over the right to use the word steam in yellow page advertising. He even formed a trade association called Steam Carpet Cleaners of America. From lessons learned in his carpet cleaning service business, he systematized both cleaning processes and business methods, helping thousands of people go into business, remain in business, and improve their business. 
Bill was independent and remained above the fray regarding industry politics, neither getting involved nor getting caught up in association politics. First cleaning equipment and chemical manufacturer that I knew who forged relationships with carpet mills, fiber manufacturers, and flooring companies. His reliable, durable, versatile, and energy-efficient equipment was ahead of its time and received the U.S. patent. He will be greatly missed by the thousands of friends, associates, and acquaintances he leaves behind, and most of all by his loving and dedicated family. I have two regrets that while on two separate occasions I asked Bill Bain to be interviewed on IAQ Radio, he declined both times. Learn more about Bill Bain and his company at www.bainclean.com. Bain Clean is spelled B-A-N-E-C-L-E-N-E.com. Back to you, Joe. All right. Thank you, Cliff. Before we get back to our second half of our interview with Claudia Lazell, we've got to stop and thank our sponsors. We'll be back in 90 seconds. Thanks to our association sponsors, the Indoor Air Quality Association, IAQA, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at www.iaqa.org. And thanks to our advertisers, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at www.johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleanclenfax.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. All right, we're back with the second half of our interview with Claudia Lazelle. Claudia, let's go back into the concrete for just a moment. Um, when we're talking about vapor transmission, acceptable vapor transmission through a slab, does that vary geographically? I mean, I know... Um, wood moisture content will vary geographically. Is it the same way with uh, moisture in slabs? Uh, yeah, one, one thing to realize also is, is if it's vapor transmitting, it's coming through the soil. If it's vapor emitting, it's coming through the concrete. And uh, temperature and humidity is, uh, it, well, vapor pressure is, is governed by temperature and humidity. So it it's pretty much, uh, if you look at, you know, the psychometric maps and you know, psychometric charts and things, um, you can pretty much predict where, where vapor is going to move under what, you know, circumstances as far as the exterior temperature of the concrete being the interior of the, of the building. Okay. So, yeah, it, it, a lot of people think in the dry areas like Arizona and so forth, um, there's there's no moisture problems, but they have a, a lot of moisture problems. I'm curious, with, with respect to vapor barriers, um, vapor retarders, whatever the term we want to use, underneath concrete slabs, do you know how long, you know, can I kind of guesstimate based on the age of the building if there is a barrier underneath it or not? Uh, the, you know, of course, the best thing that you could possibly do is core and see what's un up underneath there. Um, they've they've advanced. They actually have coring equipment now that you don't have to have a professional core person come in and you know do a core. However, you got to be careful when you core about you know rebar, just different you know pipes and things like that. So 
uh, careful, uh, you know, use of the of the equipment there. But uh, as far as a vapor, you notice I'm saying vapor retarder barrier because the perm rating is what dictates the not the thickness, but the perm rating dictates if it's a barrier or not. Um, if it's a real old building, it may not have any at all, or I can probably tell you it's been deteriorated um, over time. Uh, they're advancing pretty pretty well uh, as far as vapor barriers and the materials uh, out there uh, that that can withstand a lot of the the, the environmental conditions. Um, so you know it's 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 one first trying to figure out what is the vapor retarder barrier and two don't assume. Okay, and I, you mentioned something about drilling a core, and I, I didn't realize that's, is that regulated in some areas, or is that an industry standard, or? Well, I mean, as far as, you know, you have to abide uh, 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 by OSHA, you know, and all the, uh, oh, okay. the rules of OSHA. Okay, <laughs> I'm just curious, because I, you know, I'm thinking to myself, well, we've drilled some cores before, and I'm wondering if I needed a license for that or something, you know. Well, nor you know, and, and 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 typically, if we are going to do a concrete core that's got to go to a photographer, mm-hmm. we will bring in a professional coring company that has, you know, all the qualifications and and insurance and everything else that they need um, to get our course. I see. Okay, Cliff. Yeah, Claudia. When excess moisture is moving through a concrete slab. Are there effective treatments that can correct the problem? I can tell you there's probably more ineffective treatments. <laughs> All right. If, 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 if it's sad to say, but what you know, unfortunately, with cha- you know, I'm seeing materials that chase me into the side of this industry as far as my fa- my floor failures and breaking down of adhesives and so forth and so forth, um, and they're bringing them back just under a different name. So my recommendation is, first of all, you need to find out a real track history of the material, not just, you know, really pry as far as if you're going to be using something for a very large job. Um, Be careful working with materials that have um, limits as far as what they'll correct to, because maybe you might have higher limits than you realize. Uh, What kind of warranties? Do they really offer, you know, is there a, is there a lot of out clauses um, where, you know, if something fails, the, they're going to say, well, you didn't do this right, that right. Um, and, and just make sure that you, uh, if you select materials, there are materials that, that I um, have had very good success with that, um, you know, are very effective, but it's because they, they have the right solids. They, they're not cheap um they're uh you know they're they're warranted for scenarios and um i can't say offhand you know i'm not going to list any brands but i say there are some out there very few in my opinion but there's a lot more that um i see are out there that may not be working as well what exactly do these treatments do to the concrete do they seal it do they, uh, you know, seal it and allow vapor to pass through, but not liquid? Uh, and you know, are they solvent or paint type clear material? I mean, it, it, these are the ones that you like, or the, you know, the, the, the ones that are better. In what fashion do they work? Well, it's um, well. In answer your question, to not like or dislike, but you know, the you you've got the penetrants, which are chemical based that um, react a certain way in theory with the concrete, um, potassium, lithium, um, different silicates. Uh, then you have your overlays, which are, you know, rolled on. Uh, in my opinion, a double roll is better than a single roll because you're not going to get every single air bubble, you know, when you roll on with epoxies and stuff. And so there's, there's lots of different ways to suppress moisture as far as membranes go. Um, there's the the uncoupling membrane that's uh, actually it, it's a membrane itself it's not even done anything to the concrete it's just like a material between the floors so there's there's different kinds of materials I just 
my my thing, like I said before, is number one, get it real clear how that concrete needs to be pre-tested for for that moisture suppression. And number two, also find out how are they going to prove to you that it's brought that down to the compliance they claim it can bring it down to. And uh, just be very well educated. Uh, The best place uh, to really learn about different materials as far as um, concrete goes is actually the world of concrete, which is usually held right before surfaces. If I've got a project where we have excess moisture and, and let's let's go we'll, we'll go with the slab again um but my client claims they can't afford to you know put a seal or you know one of these products you just discussed down on the floor is there any particular floor covering that would be better than another when you do have the potential for or that you know there is a little excess moisture in the concrete well I mean, I think that there's maybe some flooring material that is perhaps less moisture sensitive, such as maybe like ceramic. But then you gotta, you have to realize too, if you're using any kind of a, a crack suppression membrane or using a certain kind of adhesive material or or whatever, or you have things that you know, as far as as ceramic goes, maybe it's not, you know. I, you could put it in a pool, I realize, but then you got the chemistry of the concrete. you got to take into account also the installation. Uh, we, we see a lot of tenting in tile, ceramic tile and stone and stuff, because uh, folks don't allow for the right expansion. And so it, it, there's no the, – the best, the best flooring material that uh, you could possibly use is really understanding the purpose of that floor, what its function is, what, what its limitations are. And not just putting something in because somebody sold you on it or it looks good. What, Claudia, you... are, the, are the problems that you encounter uh, confined to the lowest floor in the building, you know, to, to the floor closest to the to soil, or can it be in a you know high rise building where you know you've got problems with all the floors of the building? Yeah, it, no, I mean, it's, you know, as far as concrete on grade concrete, it has its its issues for sure. But, um, no, I mean, it's not selective. There's all kinds of moisture problems, uh, you know, as far as, like, even using lightweight. There's really quality lightweight out there. But, you know, it, if, if there's a budget and they cut corners and something that possibly could have worked very well, dried out very well, um, wasn't treated very properly, it's not, it's going to affect the material. And, um, you know, unfortunately, there used to be a thing called value engineering. You get value out of your engineering. Now I call it devalue engineering and fast, cheap construction. And you can't have the best of all the worlds. I mean, it's, it's, if, you, if you've got a, you know, project that's fast-tracked, that doesn't mean to, you know, put all the, uh, the contractors on top of each other so the job gets done before the building's even closed in. Claudia, what is a floating floor, and are these more or less prone to the types of uh, issues that we're discussing here? Yeah, the floating floor actually has, um, I mean, like you're talking about wood or laminate where there's an underlayment. Usually, typically, if it's on gray ground, you're going to have um, the, you know, sound deadening. You can have, uh, you can have a separate uh, poly, you know, six mil poly. You can have an attached plastic. I mean, there's all kinds of different types of underlayments, but uh, I see lots of issues with floating floors as far as um, moisture from the top and, and the bottom. And how how do you, um, I'm just trying to think of the best way to word the question here. You've got a floating floor, you know, the one I'm thinking of is just a uh, plastic, and then it's got a, like you said, a um, Santa suppressor, whatever that is, and then you've got your, uh, let's just say, pergo on top of that, and you've got this situation. What's the best way, you know, it's tough to get get underneath that um, because, you know, anytime you do any anything to it, you're, you're kind of damaging, you know, it's tough to just take a little piece out of it. Do you have any tips for people that are trying to evaluate those kind of situations? Well, 
Um, you mean as far as if the floor's already failed? Yeah, you know, or you've got just certain areas that have failed, and you're trying to you're trying to get access underneath there. Is there any? I mean, I guess you just got to cut into it. I'm trying to think if there's any other way of getting you know a better idea of what's going on underneath there. Well, some of some of the you know it really kind of you know again it depends on what you're going in for and if you're able to even do any kind of invasive testing. Yeah. But don't forget, once you invade, you pretty much have, uh, you know, changed the, the integrity of that whole floor. So you better find out for sure they want you to take up that floor. Yep. yep. <laughs> but, um, you know, a lot of the systems are click and, and lock systems now without adhesive at the joint. So that's kind of helped getting floors removed easier than, the, you know, in, the, in, the, in my day when we used to, you know, they used to use adhesive at the joints. Um, it's gotten a little bit better, but, you know, first, first you've got to figure out what, my, my biggest recommendation is number one, you've got to kind of look at all the clues you possibly can from the surface okay, and see what's going on. I mean, we do a survey. It's, uh, I kind of, I kind of call it the monk, you know, I go in there and I kind of put my hands in a certain way and, and just kind of look for, for clues as far as um, where moisture might be coming from. Because, you know, moist, I always say water moisture stupid. It goes to the path of least resistance. So it doesn't have a GPS and pick and choose where it's going to go to. So you could actually have a failure on one side of the building being getting created from the whole opposite side of the building. Whenever you're dealing with flooring and, and flooring underlayment. I'm curious, how often do you run into asbestos-containing materials, and, and how do you suggest people handle that issue? Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. Um, well, first of all, as far as asbestos goes, what folks need to realize is, number one, yes, in the late 80s, they started removing asbestos, but there was a lot of inventory. Um, if the mastic has asbestos in it and the tile doesn't, it's hot. Um, as far as, you know, removal goes, there's uh, programs. Uh, I'm, I'm trained to supervise asbestos removal, not because I'm going to supervise it, but because I sure want to know what I'm getting myself into when I'm, you know, grinding up some concrete. So, um, and also the testing labs, you know, that you have to use. You have to be very careful with how much material you physically can move or does a lab need to move it. Um, we were in a job, you know, unfortunately, I, I think that, you know, Citrusol is <laughs> is a popular adhesive remover. You yep. know, turns it into a slurry, but you know that that kind of goes into the concrete and goes further into the concrete. So you actually can have a problem, a failure from it, just the adhesive, the old adhesive that's been down into the pores of the concrete coming back up. Um, we were on a job doing calcium chloride, I think, or yeah, calcium chloride testing, and I started noticing that the adhesive was getting very dark. And it ends up that they had it abated, but uh, they took some corners, you know, they cut some corners, and there there we are. We had hot adhesive. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. you know, tread lightly. And there's no, you know, like, just thinking a 9 by 9 tile might be the indication of an old floor. There's there's other floors that have adhesive that aren't 9 by 9 So you really got to be conscious of it. Well, and you mentioned linoleum earlier, and a, a lot of your older linoleum's got an asbestos backing on it that's almost pure asbestos-containing material. So mm -hmm. I, I try and caution yeah, I mean, people about that. Yep. Even, yeah, even some like of the... You, you'll see pay people, attention to the mastic, too. Yeah, and you'll see people use, like, felt paper underneath floors, and that, that can contain asbestos. And you've got to really watch because of the regulations and the, the litigation that's involved with all those things. Well, Cliff, let me turn it back to you. I know you have a couple more you'd like to get to, and we don't have to go to the roundup today. Dr. Wiles not here, so let's just roll right through with Claudia. Yeah, Claudia, what's your opinion of these polished concrete uh, floors that you know you see in uh, car dealerships and big box stores and so on and so forth. Does moisture uh, cause problems with those? Um, well, it's you know that's a good question. It's becoming definitely more more popular. There's you know concrete polishing associations. I I mentioned the uh, International Concrete Repair Institute. First of all, anything that's done wrong, and no matter what the material is or what you're doing, you're going to have a problem. And you also have to understand, too, that there's, there's, there's depending on what's being done to that concrete, you, you still have to deal with um, efflorescence and alkalis. And, I mean, are they putting, 
is it polished or are they putting a coating on it? Because if the coating, you know, there's some kind of coating that goes on it. You know, what about the slip and fall? I mean, there's just a lot of things you need to take into account. It's it's a very popular thing, and more people are moving towards it. Decorative concrete was becoming very popular, and it's got its place. It's just like any other material, though. You can't. There's no perfect material out there. That's just the end all. It's just you've got to understand its its positives and its limitations. You have to understand how it's supposed to be specified, where it should be. You know, if, if there's a high maintenance area, you may not want to necessarily do, you know, polished concrete. You have to maintain it a certain way. So it really has its place, and, it, and, it, and it's very successful. And it's, um, you know, a lot of my clients that got fed up with the failures they were facing with the resilient materials moved to um, polished concrete. Cliff, how about I'll do one more, you do one more, and then we'll ask Claudia if she has anything to add. Okay, that's fine. All right. Um, Claudia, I've, I've got a question for you is with respect to, you know, early in the interview, you mentioned that, um, I guess it was 20 years or so ago, you, you thought you saw some trends coming in the industry, and and, and you were right. Um, there's been a lot of change over the years. I'm, I'm curious, what do you think 10 years down the road from now, what, what kind of new types of uh, flooring, floor coverings, floor issues, whatever you choose. Uh, What would you have our listeners watch for 10 years down the road? Well, I I will say um, that's an excellent question because, um, you know, I I feel bad. I'm I'm the naysayer. I'm not the best person to invite to a party or ask (laughs) what kind of floor I would put in my house. But... Um, you know, I, I, I just attended a, a very interesting um, a, a, a concrete, um, it was out at uh, Georgia Tech. It was the, um, the uh, Strategic Development Council, um, and it was a forum, and it was actually geared towards all these different technologies um, as far as uh, concrete goes. And, it, and they had all kinds of different folks from the different parts of the, you know, concrete industry, including the professors and studies and so forth. And I think I think there's going to be more leaning towards perhaps some um, uh, maybe some replacements for different, you know, cementitious types of materials for the concrete. Um, I, again, I got a caution: if you don't understand lead or you want more points, so you put more fly ash in and you don't need as much fly ash. You know, there's a lot of things. As far as trends go, I will say there's a lot of stuff that um, I'm seeing more failures created from coming overseas, you know, that if they take out, you know, if, if, if they're doing something on a budget or economically versus using, you know, a better quality solid material and, and so forth. So my, my, my line of thinking is, is there's going to be, I don't want to refer to it as flooring Armageddon, but um, I do see a lot, a lot of problems coming down the turnpikes with all these different types of technologies starting. And unless you understand the technology, you know, there's there's good and bad with everything. So um, the good news is that the IRCRC has allowed me to represent them for now 20 years in these different industries. And um, the ultimate goal that I have is to, you know, use it as a conduit for all these different industries to flow through and talk and, you know, share each other's sandbox and um, understand because together, you know, as far as studying things, it's a magnitude of, of a difference than, you know, just doing it by yourself. Sounds like it might be a, a good time to start learning more about flooring inspection. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. Like I said, you know, we we have classes that we offer. We're approved school and, and instructor. I I didn't plan to become a school or an instructor. I have you know two degrees in, in education, but um, I ended up becoming to to keep the program alive. And it just saddens me, you know, at, as far as headcount uh, when people keep telling me they want to take my class, and you know and they never show up, and then when they have a problem, guess who they call? Yeah. Again, if they've called me, they're too late. (laughs) Cliff, let's turn it over to you. Yeah, Claudia. Um, Let's see. I know you got about six left there, so pick a a good one. Yeah. um, 
I, and you may not know the answer to this, and, and, and that and that's okay, because this one really isn't on the list of questions. Um, who ends up paying for this? And, and what I mean is, uh, is there an insurance company that insures, you know, if, if, if this hospital that, that you did this failure analysis in, that hospital might have been 30, 40, 50 years old, who ended up paying for that? Was it their insurance company, or did they go back on previous insurance companies? You know, who ends up footing the bill for this stuff? Well, everybody that, including the janitor that touched the floor, gets in the you know the line of the lawsuit. Um, but usually, it's it it depends on really the situation because there's like in that particular case, the E and O, the errors and emissions, got sued of the architect, and they just. I think a couple parties just threw in enough money just to get you know get the floor fixed, which was into the millions. So um, you know, there's if if there's a the loser is the end user in the end because right. you know that that's the bottom line. But as far as paying for something, um, you know, as far as litigation goes, I I have a friend that's already into the double digits of millions and. You know, I keep hearing billions being thrown around as far as floor failure. So um, the more we can have these kind of talks, the more, you know, we can get people, uh, different associations and organizations um, working together and supporting each other, uh, the, the better the information is going to be. Agreed. All right. Before we go, um, Claudia, we always like to give our guests the last word. And um, I was wondering, is there anything you would like to add or anything we missed that you'd like to add here at this point? Uh, no, you guys did a great job. Um, the, the one thing, you know, I, I kind of sound like a broken record, but, um, you know, I'm I, I, not the IICRC poster child, but the reason why I've been in the positions with the IRCRC that I've been in is, it's, you know, they're there to make a difference and to work with other organizations and associations we have a you know working on a lot of uh, mous method of, of understanding and um different things so i i would say that as far as the trend goes i'm seeing a lot of my friends that left for a while including me come back to the playing field and the biggest goal the biggest key is 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 not just keeping things in your sandbox but sharing and uh information interfacing and uh interchanging information is critical right now claudia before i uh, get your website and if you want to let people know how to get a hold of you then you know we can do that as well i want to shout out to uh, my buddy nelson in delaware and the guys down at the university of delaware jeff and ed hope you caught this show uh definitely would be very helpful for you and hope to uh see you in the future and hope you catch all the shows down the road anyway uh claudia how would listeners get a hold of you if if you want uh to give them an email or if you want to uh, just give me a website or whatever way you'd like yeah uh, the best way to reach me is my email it's uh do you want me to spell it it's kind of long <laughs> sure why not okay it's claudia c-l-a-u-d-i-a at inspections i-n-s p-e-c t-i-o-n-s com, or they can call the office at 281-286-5197. You know, I don't know if you caught the play on words on the on the show announcement, but I like your name, Inspections 2. So uh, I, I, I had to put the play on words on the show title on the show announcement that uh, we were going to talk about flooring failures, moisture, and more. Uh, but anyway, thanks for joining us. We had a great time. Really learned a lot. Uh, great stuff. I look forward to seeing you in the future, and um, I'd love to get down for one of your classes or bring you up here. I think this is a subject that really isn't discussed enough, and uh, we appreciate having you on. Well, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Great. All right. This is the Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks to the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. Good job, Cliff. And thanks, Joe. Good pictures. And, and uh, I'm sorry to, sorry about uh, the uh, need for the taps at halftime, but, um, you know, it's good to honor the people that have helped this industry, and I, you do a great job at that. I want to thank Jessica Lawson at the controls. Great job, Jessica. By the way, next week we've got uh, John Donnie will be joining us, and Jerry Blaylock, we, we're going to talk a little bit about the first edition of the new IICRC's technical journal. That should be in the mail now, so those of you that are listening, you should have your copy um, midweek next week. If you don't, 
let us know. We'll make sure you get on the list. And then um, also about the same time, you'll be able to get the digital version. It's not quite ready yet, but it's just about there. And, of course, I want to thank you, our growing group of loyal listeners. Please come back and join us next Friday at noon for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio. 